Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 202 and this week I'm joined by MK Don's Performance Director, Simon Crampton. And this came a few days after getting back from MK where Simon and his team delivered at our networking event, which was a great event. And we spoke about, at the event, Simon presented on the medical process, the pre-sign process. But in this podcast, we spoke about something a little bit different in terms of hiring, um, what he looks for in people that he, he, he is hiring to the team, main considerations around building a team as well, and the team that he's built down at MK. Um, and then also going into his leadership style and the approach that he takes with his team. And this now in his role as performance director is relative to not only the sports science and medical department, but a number of other aspects of the club like he talks about as well. So really interesting to hear what he's learned from building this team and also how it applies to other areas of the club too. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Simon. But a big thank you as well to everybody that came out to our networking events. We had two events one at Rehab for Performance in Liverpool, two brilliant Q&As with both Matt Taberner and John McEwen, um, some great questions, obviously two people with great knowledge and experience and they certainly didn't disappoint, some great pointers and, and answers to the questions that got put to them in that event. And then also, like I said, down at Milton Keynes with Simon Crampton, um, there was also Akash that presented alongside Tom Delaney and Tom Bromley did a presentation for us along with some practical as well using the VALD system. So it was great to see the work that's going on down at MK um, and hopefully we'll be back down there soon um, seeing how things have progressed and catching up with everyone down there. So thank you to everyone that came out to those events. I'm delighted to say we've also confirmed our next event which is going to be on Wednesday the 21st of September and finally, we've been able to get back up to Scotland. So it seems like an absolute age since we've been up at Celtic. We are going back to Celtic 6 till 9pm on Wednesday, the 21st of September. This one is going to be at the training ground. We've got Anton, John Curry and Andy Bowles all presenting for us. They're going to be presenting all around creating a Champions League player, including some practical up there as well. We've all already uh, seen quite a few tickets go for this event. So if you're interested in coming, early bird tickets are now available at footballfitfed.com at the shop section on the website. Go and grab yourself a ticket because they are going pretty quick. We will be at limited capacity. There are a few still available, so make sure you act quick on that one. Um, there's coaches from different clubs up in, in Scotland already booked on, so you'll have a great chance to network with them as well as seeing all the guys present as well. So really excited for that event. Just a very quick heads up on this episode. There are a few issues with the sound on my microphone. So I was going to ask Simon to re-record, but his mic is actually okay. It's just when I first start speaking for some reason. So I hope you can sort of get by with it and hear what we're saying. But just a quick word of warning on the sound quality on this podcast. But let's get into the podcast now. Just before I do, I want to say a huge thank you to Rezzle, our sponsors, and I hope you enjoy episode 202 with Simon Crampton. 
Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 202 and I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today Performance Director at MK Dons, Simon Crampton. Simon, how are we doing? Good, Ben. How are you? I'm good, thank you, mate. It's only been a few days since we've uh, mm. caught up down at the Dons and I know you've had a nice little 4-0 away victory in between. Um, back in the northwest, like it should be. Yeah, exactly. Always, always good after... Uh... A long away trip that one to come home with a big smile on your face and uh, three points and four goals. So, yeah, that was most welcome. Brilliant, mate. Yeah, that's good to see. Well, Sam, we've got a few um, different things that we want to cover today on the podcast from what you spoke about for us on the event. But to kick us off, it'd be interesting just to go into your background and what led up to the role at the Dons. Yeah, so um, I originally went to university in 1998. I, uh, I traveled 250 miles no- uh, south from, from the Northwest and uh, went and did a degree in sports therapy at the University of North London. So um, at the time, sports therapy was very new. It was, it'd only been running for two years, the course prior to me doing it. It was the only university doing it. I had got offered a place on a physio course, but um, I, was, I was sold the dream that, you know, this would be pure sport. It was what I wanted to do. And when I graduated, you know, I'd be, equivalent of a physio so I did that and it was a brilliant course and you know a lot of what I learned on there and there was brilliant lectures on it and everything and you know a, a lot of what I learned I still practice today but unfortunately when I graduated it, it wasn't a known profession and um, I, I started to do some work at Queen's Park Rangers and nobody really knew what your you did what your skill set was uh, do you do massage is it more sports science based so uh, with time I thought right well I need to go on and, and at the same time chartered physiotherapy had become you know the physiotherapy had become a protected title so when you were looking to get other jobs, jobs in professional sport, they were looking for that chartered status. So I took the plunge, went back to university, 2004, did an MSc in rehab science, which gave me the ability to become a chartered physio, uh, HCPC registered. Uh, on the back of that, I started working at London Wasps. I was working in the NHS. Um, Wasps was, was a, you know, a part-time gig. And I, I sort of was in talks, maybe making it more full-time. And then I got a, a call from a friend who had been working in a sports science capacity at MK Don, saying there was a physio role. So it was uh, probably typical of sport. Um, I went down for an interview on a Thursday, um, and I didn't really know what to expect, I guess. Uh, I, I was from a rugby background. I played rugby. That was my sport. I, you know, I, I didn't really follow football a great deal. And when I did my background research, I saw they were in League Two, and I was thinking, oh, well, that's the equivalent of uh, you know, the, the fourth division in rugby. So I was expecting, you know, sort of a, a dilapidated clubhouse and a couple of boys drinking, you know, beer at the bar. And uh, I went and I saw the National Hockey Stadium. I was like, wow, wow. And I went went to interview and did an OK job at the interview and then um, met the met the chairman and, and got shown the plans for the new stadium, which was being built at the time. And the passion from the chairman, the vision, uh, you know, what, what was potentially around the corner, you know, it really inspired me and I was really drawn drawn to it. So... Well, that's brilliant. And on the way home, I uh, I got a phone call offering me the job on the premise that I could start the following Monday. So um, 
it was sort of very whirlwind and uh yeah I've been here now it's my 17th season so um yeah it was it was a good it was the right decision um I'm sure there's been moments in my career when I thought was that the right decision <laughs> uh, but it definitely has and you know it's it's been a unique journey in the fact that my sort of career has developed since the football club developed so most of my roles I've been in have been sort of new roles blank canvas roles um in setting up leading a department initially as an academy physio then as a, a first team physio and, and then now in the position of performance director so yeah it's been some journey yeah i was going to ask about that in terms of how the roles have developed so is it mainly the three titles that you've held along the way yeah so my my uh, initial role was academy physiotherapist and i remember fondly on my first day um i won't even call it a treatment room it was a dressing room with a you know a a dilapidated uh, box of um, lotions and potions and, and a, a, you know, a, a rickety old treatment couch. And I'd set up in there and um, I went out to get my first patient, which I thought would be academy players, and this huge monster, Clive Platt, six foot three giants of, of a, you know, an old school centre forward was stood there. And I, you know, I politely told him, no, I'm, you know, I'm the academy physio. And he, he you know, explained to me in, in certain words, no, you're the only physio. And they get in here and look at my back. So it was, I was brought in as an academy physio and, and my friend who'd been working there had been doing sports science and he got a sports therapy background as well. So he'd been doing some of the injury stuff, but there'd been a couple of, you know, a couple of people in previous to me delivering on the physio side, but at the time there was no one in. So I was you know, literally the only physio and uh, new to, you know, full-time football as well. So it was a real steep learning curve for me. Um, and then sort of towards the end of that season, so that would have been 2000 and, uh, Six toward the end of that season, um, it was Martin. I was the manager, he left and his team left, and then I sort of moved into right. Well, we need to sort of set up a proper academy provision now, um, and we employed two, two other physios to come in and, and deliver in the academy. And I became purely first team, and I probably did that then for another year to two years. And then as the department grew, I then had the head of sports medicine title, uh, did that for probably 10 years, and then we moved, and then as the department grew again. and we had a change in personnel, a change in manager. Uh, and then it was all aimed at, you know, we'd, we'd gone for a process of having different sports scientists in, uh, people delivering the sports science, the performance side, but then being linked to managers and then, then moving on uh, with that manager. And it was almost get some continuity into the department. So I then became head of sports science and medicine. Um, and then more recently, so started 21 season, um, our old chief exec left um, and the chairman, it was, it was very sudden and the chairman sort of gave me a phone call and said, look, there's two people who want to take the club forward. One's yourself and the other's Liam Sweetin, who uh, you know, I have a real close relationship with here. So Liam is the uh, sporting director and I take the role of performance director. Between them both now we manage a uh, football team. So Liam looks after all the, all the glory stuff. So the players, uh, the coaching staff, uh, whereas I, where I pick up everything else. So I manage sports science and medicine, sort of our grounds team facilities, the kit departments, operations, logistics, or, or the non-glamorous side of it. Brilliant. And can you give it, you talked about it there, and I know there's a lot of things that have happened along the way in terms of building a team, but can you give a bit of an overview in terms of when you stepped up to first team, what the actual team looked like in terms of numbers compared to where it is now? Yeah, so when I when I when I first came in, we uh, Paul Ince when I moved into the first team environment, more you know, for full time as my job title. I, as I say, I've been doing it all the way through my first season. Paul Ince was the manager, uh, and he'd obviously seen it done at a high level from the, from the, all the clubs he'd been at, and 
he brought in two masseurs with him who he'd had at a previous club. So they, they, they came and joined us, but they were only there for that year. And then we had a fitness coach. So it was me, academy physio, a couple of masseurs. So actually we were quite well, well equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, uh, that manager moved on, another one came in and then sort of reality hit a little bit and it was me. And then at that time we'd, we'd started this mentoring scheme where we were getting students in from various universities, predominantly the University of Hertfordshire. So we're using a lot of students in. And one of them who did really well was Adam Ross. So we took Adam on as sort of like an assistant capacity initially. Uh, he's still here to this day. So he's in his, what well, must be his 15th year now. Um, and again, he's another one whose then careers developed as the club's developed. So, you know, in the early days we were limited, but it was more probably from the facility side, we were limited. You know, we, we didn't have a gym. We were, you know, we were doing various contra deals with local gyms and something would happen, we'd fall out. We were trying to find another gym again. Um, so we've, we've always been okay with, with staffing, but as I say, the facilities are the big thing that we've been able to develop. And, and I think the big important thing is as we've developed through the public, the continuity in the staff that we've had. So, you know, we've had, and we've got Tom Bromley here, who's been here a long time as well. Um, and running things, uh, mentoring schemes that we would now, sandwich placements, it means that, you know, we have students with us that work with us for a year to go back to university and, you know, we, we can sort of hopefully then have a job for them when they graduate and progress them through. And that's something we've, you know, we've done and had great success with. Yeah, it's really, it's really good to see the, and hear about the progress. Um, one thing I was going to ask for the listeners is when you're going through that hiring process, and making that decision on whether to put someone in a role or not. Are there any sort of standouts for you in terms of not necessarily on the technical side on what people can deliver, but more the personal side? Any sort of standouts on what you see and, and sort of catches your eye, the likes of Adam and Tom and, and the others? Yeah, I think, you know, some of it, you know, interview is is, uh, is are tricky, aren't they? And it's like a forced process where someone comes in and it's, uh, we've, we've tried all sorts of different things. You know, someone's coming in, they're, they're nervous, uh, you, you sat at a desk with them potentially you've got a list of technical questions you're trying to make a judgment on their personality and their fit based on their answers to technical questions over the years we tried to you know we tried to explore their personality a little bit more um, you know there might be a presentation element that we ask them to do uh, if they get through the first phase we bring them in and they come and spend a day with us and you know spend some time with the team and they're all the sort of this when we're trying to learn about the soft skills but it's really really it's it's, it's a very difficult environment and Ultimately, you sometimes have to sort of get them in, try them and, and, and see how they work. And if things, you know, if things don't work, that's what a probation period's for, as, as harsh as it sounds, but that's often the reality. But I think in terms of what we look for, well, um, on the technical side, you know, obviously experience is important, but I think it's something that makes that person stand out. So in, you know, the amount of CVs, you know, physios and sports scientists will have across the country delivered to them, which is from new graduates and, you know, their experience has been working in the university clinic or working in the university gym, uh, covering the London Marathon. Uh, and, and everyone's done that. It doesn't stand you out. So it's what is on your CV as a new sort of practitioner. It's going to stand you out. What, what, what's, your, you know, what's your added benefit to coming and joining us? So what other experiences have you got? And it doesn't always have to be in sport. Something can be, you know, very transferable in, in another industry or another, you know, another population. I quite like taking people in who've had uh, experience at younger age in the hospital, hospitality sectors because it shows, you know, potentially shows that they've got a level of interpersonal skills if they've been having like, you know, a front of house position or, or that sort of thing. So that's, that's really important. Um, I mean, we want ultimately people like who've worked with a long time, Adam and, and Tom, it's, you know, it's, it's their relentlessness, it's their, it's their work ethic, it's their personal drive to be the best versions of themselves. And 
can you pick that up on someone you know in a, in a half hour interview probably not but you can there's little there's little signs that you can see in their you know their personal development you ask the question in your podcast what have you you know where do you get your cpd from that's something i always ask and you know we'll ask questions and it might be a technical question and someone will, you know someone might not know the answer but that doesn't phase me what i want to know is how do you find out that answer you know how are you going to tell me that what what's your go-to who do you call what do you read what do you look up and it's about getting that process and i think that's really important to me and i think you can tell a lot by the way someone answers those questions you know from their personality and how they're going to get on yeah, yeah. and in terms of building this team Simon, like i've obviously met the guys coming down there and seeing how they work not only as individuals but also as a team they obviously they link in very well together don't they um in your role when you developing this team obviously it's made up of individuals but what are some main considerations for you when trying to develop this team that's going to be effective for the players and the club yeah i think you know i've, I've had this a lot now in my uh, in the new role now i've suddenly inherited a lot more departments that, I, that i'm managing and it's i think i did this sort of naturally previously but then it's trying to put some of the science to what to what you did before and i think you know you look at some of the theories around leadership and the, uh, you know the different leadership models where it's transformational transactional and you know i've got a transformational approach and we we follow you know this is not ours this is you know which is well documented i think it you know, started off in the military originally but a, a leadership model that has high levels of challenge support and vision so you know first and foremost they've got to understand have role clarity know what their role is you know i still hear to this day of you know people in the industry not having job descriptions so you know it, it needs to be really clear this is your job this is your job this is your accountabilities these are your responsibilities and and holding people accountable regular pdr processes and that sort of thing to making sure people are delivering their roles but also in that in that vision it's where does your role fit in the you know in the realization of a, of a bigger vision the vision of the football club so you know here we you know our vision is to become a sustainable championship football club so everything we're doing from sports science and medicine and, and the other departments how how is your work? How is your role contributing to that? And that's really that's really important. And it gives you some you know it gives you something to hold people accountable to. Then you've got to give the support. So you know we talk about things like performance enablers. So information incentives. Uh, have you got have you got all the information you need? Have you got that role clarity? Have you got the information you need to do your job? Have you got the instruments to do your jobs? Job. So they could be uh, you know, structural things. Uh, they could be organisational instruments. So there's lots of different sort of instruments that we've got. It's not just all about equipment. Um, and then the incentive. So obviously the big incentive is money, but that's not always conducive to, to high performance. If everything, you know, everything rolls on getting promoted and getting a bonus, that's not always conducive. But things like um, feedback and, you know, the way we deliver feedback. So, um, you know, an incentive is you're doing a good job. You know, the fact that you're regularly feedbacking people, telling them they're doing a good job, giving them recognition. Uh, people coming onto your onto your um, onto your podcast or onto your uh, onto your you know your your uh, networking events. It's kind of like giving them that forum so they can show to people what they're doing. It's another you know it's another good incentive that people have. So I think following that leadership structure and now I'm trying to get it across into the other departments. And I've actually had to neglect sports science and medicine. And fortunately, I've got some good people in there over the last year and come away from it. And I had to do that you know for two reasons. One. I'm no, I'm no longer Simon Cramps in the physio and delivering to the players day in, day out, um, as I was doing before. I needed to come away from that. But two, I wanted them to blossom. They've been here a long time and they need to find their own way now and, uh, you know, take the department forward how they see it want to go forward. Um, and it's given me the chance to move into the other areas, which probably needed a bit more support. 
So, so with that process, do they now carry that forward and, and sort of act as um, they could become accountable to each other without you necessarily leading it as much? Is that now with that process you've talked about, the challenge, support and vision, is that now sort of within the team and they'll now challenge each other and make sure things are right? Yeah, so it's something it's something we've promoted across you know across all the departments. As I say, you know we've uh, presented it and this is our model, and we've, we've expanded on you know some great work that other people have done. It's not something, as I say, we've invented. It's something we've gone to the research. And I was when I was in this new role before, I was reading lots of technical based journals and books, and now it's all about leadership. So it's something I've um, you know I've researched heavily and 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 tried to try to find a fit that I know is, is what what is it we do um but yeah it, it goes into it, it is in the departments and you know they they meet regularly and I think it's about challenging you know we talked about the support I didn't come on to the challenge but the challenge is equally as important so in the right way I'm not going to go in and although I have done at times but I, I, I tend not to try this approach I try and sort of point out if something's not working well point that out what the reasons for what could have been better um, I challenge all the staff where um, I don't want to hear about the problems. I want to hear about the solutions to their problems, uh, which, which is, again, I'm not the only person who does that. It's, it's another good sort of leadership model and it's, it encourages people to think and talk and <clears throat> they know that, that that encourages them to then talk. I'm putting it over here because they're in the room behind me. Um, <laughs> but it encourages them to talk and if they've got an issue that they, that they know it's not working and needs to improve, they need to find a solution together. And, you know, and that's the challenge to them and then They'll, they'll then come knocking on my door with a proposal for a, <clears throat> they, they want to get the next piece of equipment, whatever it is, to, to sort out this problem. And they give me a proposal for it. And, and then I can say yes or no on it. And it's uh, so far it's a system that's working. And as I say, we do it across the departments, but you know, it's, it's also got to be very organic and adaptable because things change in football very, very quickly. Because how do you find that balance, Simon, between giving people exposure and sort of learning themselves which like I'm sure everyone listening is going to have an element of experience for that, being in a position and actually you coming out the other side and thinking I've learned a pretty valuable lesson there, which I probably want to learn not being able to go through that experience, but also you having sort of known and seen that happen before and giving your input, like where's the balance to that? Like putting people in a position where they can learn themselves and you guiding it. Yeah, it, it's, it's tricky because it's, it's very very difficult not to be um to be hands-on at times uh, for me because i've done it for so long and you know it's i will regularly i mean the, you know we're, we're all based at the stadium we're in the darkest steps of the stadium and my office is very close to the treatment room and, and i miss not being in the treatment room in this new role so i reg- regularly go in there and i can i can see something and i think oh i could just do this or i haven't thought about that and it, again it's it's instilling the confidence in the players, they need to build trust. In, I mean, they've got that now, but they need to build trust with the players. So I couldn't. And that's why I said to you before, I needed to come out of the department. So I wasn't. I wasn't doing that. And the, you know, the practitioners who are in there now I need to have the trust. Um, I think if there was something, you know, I think there's, there's levels, isn't there? If there's something that's going to be a significant detriment, whatever you know, whatever it might be, whether it's performance or a player's recovery or the injury management, then obviously I'm going to I'm going to step in. But again, it's doing it in the right way, where you need to encourage the staff member that it's it's you know what the outcome needs to be, but you need you need that that you need that staff member to get to that outcome. By you know you might drop something, or you might sort of uh, the way you communicate it, alter the conversation tone, or whatever it might be, and then just and then also oh yeah, and then you know and they get there. So I think that there is a skill to it, um, which I'm still learning as well. You know, as I say, my, my head's in all the in leadership books now, and uh, you know how how can I keep developing, and you know how can I 
um, pass on all my experience and knowledge to you know doing sports science and medicine, but in the right way. So I'm, you know people aren't looking on the shoulder every five minutes. So how easy is it, is it for you to um, cross over from the things that you've learned in your previous roles to other areas of the club that maybe I'm guessing you didn't think that you'd end up working with and it's something that you're maybe to have, having to adapt to as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there is, you know, it's a really good question. I think there is lots of transferable skills that, you know, that we, we do. Ultimately, we're still working in football. Um, so we've still, the vision's the same. You know whether you're a, you're a, someone who comes in at part time and washes our kit for us, or whether you're you know you're a cleaner, or whether you're a head head groundsman. You know the the vision's the same. We want to become a sustainable championship football club. So you know to to, to our cleaner, we need that. You know to our cleaner, we need the place to be as clean and professional looking as it can be. And it's how we sort of give them that vision and then give them the support that they need and also the challenge when it's not. Well, that's no different to saying to one of our SNC coaches, we need the, our players to be. You know, strong and robust and capable of the demands of uh, League One football week in, week out. You know, it's the the vision's the same. It's just it's a different outcome that they're, they're trying to they're, you know they're putting in to try and to try and get to that vision. So it's it's yeah, I've had to upskill in a lot of areas as well. As well, I guess. I mean, my garden now looks unbelievable because um, I've had to really upskill in, uh, in areas of, sort of the ground. And then again, why I needed to sort of step away a little bit from sports science, science and medicine last season so I could focus on some of these other departments um, because you know there's been some big challenges in and around the club with you know with new training venues during all this as well uh, we've we changed our pitch we've had a 14 year old Deso and we've now put in a hybrid pitch and um, so there's been some real big challenges and to sort of manage that side of it from a strategy point of view but also you know whilst keeping an eye on the budgets etc you know it's, it's been challenging so it's I think you know just to go back to the original question I think it's ultimately as long as you are clear in what the vision is uh, and you know how to support people and know how to challenge people appropriately, you can, you know, the skills are very transferable to, to, to wherever you're working. There's probably no better time to join our online community than now because we've honestly put some absolutely brilliant content up this week alone. So the Q&As with Matt Taberner and John McEwen, they've both gone up onto the community so they're available to watch back. We've also got the presentations from Simon Crampton, from Akash, from Tom Delaney and Tom Bromley from our event down at MK Dons. They're all going to be available to watch on the community as well. And I actually delivered a webinar for our online community members on my top 10 takeaways from episodes 100 to 200 from the podcast as well. So that's an hour webinar and I recorded it from the live webinar. So that is also now available to watch on the community so loads of content on there new content available to watch the good news if you're not a community member you can get yourself a free month by going to footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign yourself up there and you will get one month free stay a member after that free month it's only £4.99 per month and you'll get continued access to all the great content we've got coming up very soon as well including the presentations from our Celtic event which is not too far away now so go and check it out if you're not already a member footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign yourself up there and get 30 days free here's part two of the podcast with Simon Crampton I was going to say that so in terms of just going into that vision, I guess it's been somewhat easier for you coming from the football side because you know 
that's the result of everything that's happening, isn't it, in terms of what, what's going on on the pitch. So then being able to transfer that into all these different areas must be not easy, but an easier way of you actually understanding the impact that all these different things have on performance. Yeah, exactly that. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, where we got into this position is because, um, you know, I suppose it can work it can work both ways. But the point is when in some, in some of, sort of the directorship roles that we have at the football club, some, you know, in the past, individuals may have had a background in, in a different discipline. So marketing or, or finance, for example, and although may have had experience working in football, they've never been at it at a grassroots level in terms of, cleaning up dressing rooms at the end of the game and helping the kit man load the van and, you know, working till 11 o'clock at night because you've got a, a medical to do, whatever it might be, you know, all those sort of things that both Liam uh, Sweeting and I have both seen. Uh, and I think it really, it really allows us to know what's important and, and, and you know, some of the factors that which may, over, you know, I keep going back to the cleaner, but, you know, I tell our cleaner they're the most important person within our football club because, you know, we'll be believing first impressions and, who comes through that next door? The, the door next, we don't know. It could be a player we're trying to sign. It could be the chairman. You know, it, it could be a player who's having a bad day and he walk, walks in and the dressing room's still in a tip from the day before. You know, it's going to put him in a further bad mood. So you know, it's it's just having that um, that eye on it all the time, isn't it? The attention to detail, and I guess you learn that when you've had sort of a long, longer career in football from you know, some of the managers that you worked with in the past, some of the more old school managers, and you didn't want to put a foot wrong because the consequences were dire. And, you know, it's just little things. I, I remember an old manager of ours going, going mental because the fridge hadn't been, uh, been stocked up with water, but the labels were the wrong way around. And it was, I've learned so much from that moment because it was, you know, as much of the time, I thought, what's the problem? But, you know, he, his argument was, well, in shops, from a marketing point of view, if you go in, the, the coat's always facing away, so you can see the label's more appealing. That's why the labels are colourful. Let's do the same. We want the players to go in, get a bottle. We want them to hydrate. And, you know, that was, like, very early on in my career. And, you know, the manager was ahead of his time for stuff like that. But it, it just sort of, that attention to detail, it really opened my eyes to things. And, you know, now, as much as we're nowhere near perfect and we're a long way from being perfect, we, you know, we're, we're, you know, functioning well as a League One football club, but, you know, we're into the constraints of the League One football club budget. Um, but I think, you know, that's one of the, the things that we look at now is putting our details to everything. And again, as I say, that's from the experience that Liam and I have had from being on the shop floor for, for all those years. Yeah, brilliant. You gave a great presentation for us on the pre-sign medical, the process, and you went into great deal, detail for us. And, some of the things that you covered in that presentation were just the realities of what goes on at football clubs mm -hmm. where you do so much work and sometimes things just get go over, over the top of you and different decisions get made. So I didn't know how to structure this question. So I hope you understand what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> but how do you get that message across to younger coaches and also stop them being discouraged when things like that happen? So you mean if we if we do a medical, you mean and is that what you mean yeah, if you do a medical? Yeah, not necessarily always a medical, because I'm sure you'll know as well as, as everyone listening that these things aren't just in that sort of process with a medical, yeah. but other things happen all the time, don't they? Where we might we might think yeah. we have a great impact and we might not, but yeah. we might go against what you might put a load of work into something and then you don't really see an outcome out of it, like whatever that is, not just medicals, but how do you then basically pick a member of staff up and they're sort of getting yeah. discouraged. Yeah, no, sorry, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, it's it happens all the time, doesn't it? So, 
Um, you know, I, 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 I can plan. We planned at length in case we got to, we got to the playoff final, the playoffs in the playoff final. We planned at length, and I'm sure every other team who's in and around it did as well. Um, but obviously, we put all that work in, and there was a couple of days working to scope what our plans would be logistically, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Lots of people involved with it, and then it didn't happen. But that's not bad work. That's brilliant work, and I think that's the way we sort of get it across to the staff: is, 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 is put the effort, you put the work, and you've learned from it. If that event ever comes up again, you know the process you need to follow. Keep that work; you've still got that work. So you know, it's just. I think going back to the medical, my my first ever medical was was on a player called Jude Sterling, and I've never I've been in post for two months. I was very naive, new to football, never considered that I'd, I'd have to do a pre-signing medical. Yeah, I joined in September. This would have been the 1st of January. So it was New Year's Day. I get to the training the stadium it was. We had a game. And the manager tells me, we've got a medical in half an hour. I had no idea what to do. There was no one else here working with me. I had no one to sort of bounce ideas off. And I just sort of went with the thing, well, I've got to pretend that everybody's every, every body part's injured and try and prove or disprove that that body part's injured. And, and that's what it did. And it was, a, it was a long process, much to the player's dismay. Um, but, but from that, it made me think, right, well, I can't be in that situation again. So, you know, straight away, I didn't have a medical degree, but I designed a medical process. So, so that knew that that meant that whenever that happened again and I got half an hour to do a medical, I'd got something in place that I could wheel out and do. And I think that's the same with the question you're asking, is that, you know, as much as it seems like wasted work at the time, you will use it again. You know, it, it will, whatever it might be, the experience you've gone through to get there, you know, you know what you need to do, you know who you need to ask, you know what you need to look up, who you need to you know, speak to, converse with, whatever it might be, and you can just relay that process. And I think those processes are just real key uh, CPD moments, real key learning moments. And something I've been very, you know, not, not great at is then documenting them and going away and reflecting on it. Um, you know, we, when you look at the research into sort of performance management, continued professional development, um, you know, we've gone from being very formalised to then people saying, well, actually, informal CPD, informal learning is more beneficial to now having this mixed mixed model. But it's how do you how do you capture those corridor conversations, that, that work that never ever comes to anything, how do you capture it? So I think to have like your own process of you know it doesn't have to create more work for yourself. It, it only has to be a brief sort of document. But you know you, you, you it's part of your CPD. It's just so important. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think that's something that's come up a lot on the podcast in terms of le- learning from not necessarily always mistakes, is it? But just situations that come up that you mm. had to deal with. And I don't think you appreciate it so much at the time, do you? Because it can be frustrating all the rest yeah. of it. But time and time again, I speak to people and they bring up situations where they're like, like that. And I learned so much from it. But it's hard, isn't it, to get that balance between exposing people to that and then giving the right advice at the right time. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it is. It, it, it's tricky and... No, I think I just I think I'm a positive nature, and I just always try and take the, the positives out of those situations and, and feed that back. And if that member of staff is, you know, I spent loads of time to this, and the manager said it's it's terrible or I'm not going to use it. It's like, but it's a brilliant piece of work. How much have you? What have you learned from it? Do a reflection. Tell me what you've learned from doing this piece of work. Use it to your advantage. And it's 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 so important. What's the sort of approach you take in terms of um, staff? And I know it might not be directly with the, the sports science guys now, but on that reflective process, is there anything that you've put in place for the guys to, and I know we're probably doing the presentations last week probably helped quite a bit with that, but is there anything that you do normally um, where the guys can sort of sit back and reflect on the work they've done, the impact they've had and that sort of thing? Is there anything that you've put in place? Yeah, so funny enough, we're just, we're just, 
working through through it now. So um, previously in the old role in sports science and medicine, we had a PDR process. Um, obviously, we, we're not just a football club. We've got a, a hotel and you know wider business interests and all come under one group. So there was a there was an internal PDR process that we follow, but it wasn't really fit for purpose. So we adapted that. And, and we do that, and part, and part of that is reflective practice. Of course, it is. You know, it's something we all have to do as physios and sports scientists to maintain our to maintain our registration. Um, but more recently, we've sort of turned it on its head a little bit, and we've, we've really changed the way we're doing the PDR process. And a big part of it is like an own like critical review of yourself. So it's like really delving deep into self, and you know, thinking back. And again, this is this is not from one source. This is from evidence from listening to lots of different podcasts and how different people do things, talking to colleagues. But it, it's ultimately you know deep, deep, uh, delving deep into yourself and you know thinking about why are you where you are today, you know, why are you here, what's your journey. Um, going back, I mean, I know you asked a similar question, but going back, if you're old self, what's your future? What would they think about? position you're in now would they be pleased would they be you know would they be dissatisfied so i think it starts with that but then also then an individual reflection in how you're competing in your role looking at the performance and enables that you might need to do that role um and it's it sort of it, it then you then come into the pdr process and you know i've been in pdr processes before and i'm sure many people have where you sort of like no one can be asked doing it uh you know you sat the opposite and you're just sort of doing as quickly as you can so it's a tick box tick box exercise but you know, the more you're into it, there's such important. And again, it's part of how do we how do we give people the vision of what we're trying to achieve here? You know, how, how do we spread that word? And the PDR process is a key thing about the PDR process gives us support and it also gives us the challenge. Um, and as I say, you know, where that's the formal process, it's what, what are the informal processes. So we have an in, informal section, which again is more about the reflection. So, you know, looking at simple things like the Gibbs cycle, you know, what went wrong, what were my feelings, what could I do different next time? Uh, and, and having that documented. So ultimately, well, and as I say, this is, this is working progress was at the moment and we've just started rolling them out, but ultimately each member of staff will have their own, uh, you know, their own debt, their own portfolio, which they can, not a record of achievement folder, those old brown folders, but you know, it, it, it's something that's, that's, they own it, rather than just coming into a PDR process, doing, you know, doing a one SWOT analysis or something and it being, you know, very, a very sort of vague process and, and not time, you know, followed up in a timely manner. This, it's hopefully gives real ownership to people and helps them on their development journey in their career. Brilliant. We'll move on to some of the quick fire questions, Simon. Um, the first one I always ask is who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, I think the, the obvious one in that one is, uh, is obviously your family, your close family and friends, uh, but from sort of a, you know, a purely professional perspective, uh, I think, the Bible of sports medicine, which is, uh, you know, the godfathers, uh, uh, Peter Bruckner and Karen Kahn. Um, they, I mean, I've, I probably had every copy of that book. And I think, uh, you know, that is a well-thumbed resource. And although, you know, you've got to, you know, you appreciate that the publishing process means that they're not always up to date in current research, but it's always been a good guide for me. And I think early in my career, it was having, as I say, I came into this environment with, with no one senior to me from a physiotherapist so I had to sort of reach out and try and find my own mentors. So um, I used to use Gary Lewin a lot and, and Ian Beasley, who were absolutely fantastic when they were when they were at Arsenal. You know, they'd even come and give me a second opinion. I could drive it down the road for us. So I could drive a player to their training ground and it did help me and have a look over things. Uh, and then all the consultants that I've, I've worked with over, over those years as well. Every time I go to a consultant's office, 
in our treaty as a CPD session, and, and not just about their technical knowledge and expertise, but also the soft skills, how they deliver information. Um, you know, the, the old school word is bedside manner, but you know what what is that? How does it work? And and, and that sort of stuff. So there's lots of there's lots of people, um, you know, too many to mention who've sort of really influenced my career from, from that side of it. I think then looking uh, closer to home in, in the football club, certainly certainly our chairman, uh, Pete Winkleman. So, as I said, my career has progressed with the football club and he's sort of opened lots of doors for me, put trust in me and faith in me uh, and, you know, and, and shown good loyalty at times as well. So I think, you know, his, he comes not from a physio, he comes from a music background, but I've learned a lot from you know, his, his, his business acumen and, and how he leads and how he manages people. Uh, and then probably the, the final one is Adam. So Adam Russell, we spoke about before. So Adam, you know, was, was my student originally. You know, he came in on the student placement, but, you know, together both our careers have developed side by side. And as much as I'm sure he's learned a lot from me, I've also learned a lot from him, probably a lot more than he realises. And I think, you know, he's been a big influence on, on the football club and the department we've created. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um... From a practitioner point of view, I mean, there was there was different areas. I, you know, clinical interest. You know, I was obviously football, so hamstrings, ankles were you know big areas of clinical interest to me. But I think probably sort of globally, it's probably more ability, like a problem solving uh, ability. So um, I, I said I've got a thing where I want where I want solutions, not problems, and that was something I'd always sort of take on to me whenever there was anything happening. And I sort of thrive in that environment. I'm very inquisitive. So if you give me an acronym. FFF, I want to know what it stands for. Um, you know, I want to know everything about something. And, and I think that's that comes down from being a physio as well. So, you know, you never knew what was going to come through into your treatment room. You never knew what your next injury was going to be. And, you know, although you, you have a good baseline, you're a good generalist, you know, there would be things about what we're going to do with this one and who do I need to see, who do I need to speak to, you know, how, where we're we going to get to the end of this one. And uh, now, it, now in the environment, now it's I never know what's going to come through my door. Now, you know, never mind my treatment room. So the irrigation system's broken, or uh, the kit's not turned up on time, or you know, I think it was a, we had a problem when you came to the event the other day that I was trying to trying to sort out. So I think just finding quick, you know, solutions to people's problems and the problems that I'm faced is, is probably you know the, the strength and maybe something that the chairman recognises, right, recognising me when we put me into this role. Simon, going back to Simon and Northwest, the younger Simon, setting out on your career, what would be your top bit of advice? Yeah, it's, that's, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. And I've heard other people answer this and uh, giving it thought because ultimately all the decisions I've made all this time has got me into the position that I'm very happy in. And, and you know, look, I'm not in a Premier League football club and you know, all the grandeur that comes with that, but also all the stress. Um, but you no, know, I'm, I'm I'm very happy where I am. So I think you know um, the journey has been has been a good one for me. But I guess early days I, I probably would have could have would have benefited from from a mentor. And I, I know this is something that uh, is often talked about now. And it wasn't really a thing in those days. Social media and all those sort of things weren't weren't as, as popular around. You know, never mind being prolific, they weren't even around. Um, but to have more of a formal mentor, you know, one of the former mentorship with someone. And, and as I say, I did have people I could bounce ideas off and get advice from, but to have something a bit more formal, I think would have been really beneficial you know, early on in my career and something I always recommend now to the younger practitioners that come through our door. And you referenced it before, your approach to CPD, continued learning, how do you go about that now? 
Well, it's yeah, it was. I think moving away, I've had to really look at this in, in great detail because moving away from the clinical side, I still want to identify as a physiotherapist, which means I need to keep practicing my skill set and I, I'll still go next door and you know, help out when I can do when, when there's when I'm not standing on anyone's toes, of course, as I said before. But I, I, I still do that. But I, I enrolled on a uh, professional doctorate in elite performance at UFLAM. So I'm getting a massive CPD hit from that at the moment. And it's a brilliant course. And it's it's essentially I'm getting credits for doing the job I'm doing. But it's, it's encouraging me to really sort of look at it from a real evidence base on, it, on all the decisions we're making. So I'm really enjoying that. And then I think in multimedia, so uh, multimedia sort of CPD activities. So, you know, it's 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 Twitter, it's podcasts, it's going to networking events, going to conferences when they come up. I think there's probably been, I mean, when I think back earlier in my career, there was there was a lot of FA-derived conferences and probably not as many as it used to be. It feels like there's not as many as it used to be because of the, you know, the dominance of social media and, and podcasts and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think that's something that's really important to get out and do the networking events and get to meet people as well rather than just sort of listen to what you've got to say on a podcast so I try to try and do that uh, and then the other thing is touchline conversations I just could never get enough of them uh, and again I don't know if that still happens as much as it used to it doesn't feel like it does at times but you know connecting to the opposition physio or sports scientists before the game having a beer with them after the game you know we've all got the same problems we're all trying to find solutions to the same problems and you know we, it, it's it's so important to start those open and honest conversations and I think, you know, it, it's, I want, I'm not the first to say it won't be the last, but there's, there's, there's a lot of, a lack of, often a lack of information transfer because at the end of the day, we're competing against each other. And so I think, you know, those touchline conversations are really important to, to find out what the people are doing in, in sort of a, in an informal environment. Brilliant. Before I let you go, Simon, you mentioned about reading a few leadership books recently. Have you got any recommendations? Yeah, so the one um, the one I'm reading at the moment is probably it's probably a really good one, and it, again it goes back into us, you know, getting the vision right. And as a football club, we're really unique in the fact you know we're one of the youngest football clubs. Depends where you read, but probably the youngest. Uh, you know, we're not 20 years old yet, and uh, it's how you tell your story. So you know, it, there's lots of clubs. Sheffield Wednesday, you can go back to you know 18 whatever it was and talk about the miners and you know they've got the Wednesday off and that's why the whole Sheffield Wednesday or as the story goes, whereas we've not got that. So um, it's finding a new way, unique way to tell our story. And the book that's really helped with me is a book by Owen Eastwood uh, called Belonging. Um, so I don't know if anyone, you know, if you've read that yourself, but I'd really recommend it if you've not read it. It gives a, you know, it gives a real sort of unbelievable insight into how important knowing your, your story is, how you know, your story, but the organisation, story and how you, how you tell that and you know, he's done a lot of work with within the football and various you know, various rugby uh, organisations as well so you know, that's, that's a really good book Brilliant Simon. Thank you very much for coming on mate I appreciate no, you your time um, If anyone wants to give you a follow over on Twitter it's just your name isn't it Simon Crampton over on Twitter Yeah yeah yeah, I'm that old. I had an original Twitter account where I didn't have to have any funny little letters after it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Well, thanks a lot and uh, all the best going into the weekend as well. Cheers, Ben. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to episode 202 and big thank you to Simon for coming on as well. He did mention he's going to be listening back on his run. So, Simon, if you're listening, make sure you pick the pace up a little bit there, mate. Um, but in all seriousness, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and also for hosting us down at the Dons as well. 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. Go and give Simon a follow over on Twitter. It's just his name, at Simon Crampton, all one word. Takeaways on this one. He spoke right at the start of the episode about interviews being difficult environments and how they've gone about tackling that and taking that into consideration. And the fact that you can't really find out everything about someone in the interview process. That's where probation period becomes quite important for coaches and practitioners to get a real true reflection on what people are like within a role. And then also, what stands out on your CV? Ask yourself that question now because Simon made some great points on um, a lot of CVs looking the same when we've gone through similar sort of qualifications and even similar sort of work. Additionally, what people are doing now but what can make you stand out? He made a great point around hospitality because it's a person industry, isn't it? You're dealing with that many people in scenarios that are not always ideal. So things like that, might it might not be something you think of straight away, but these are little things that maybe just give you that foot in the door. And um, people like Simon who are going to be hiring for roles like that, they're going to notice it. So think about what makes you stand out on your CV. I love the sort of leadership style, the challenge, support and vision that they're taking at the club. Um, I think it's quite a simple way of looking at it, but obviously effective and it's something that is being carried out throughout the team as well, which is great to see. And then one of the other sort of beliefs and values that Simon and the club are following is the solutions over problems or obstacles. And that's something personally that I've, I've followed for a long time as well. I think we can get well too caught up on issues, obstacles, problems that crop up, everyone faces them. What are the solutions we're going to put in place? That's the real important and impactful stuff that we need to then consider. So I love that. Really great takeaway for me. But as always, I'd love to hear yours. So please give it a share on socials. Um, Don't just share it, tag people in, but also share what maybe you took away from it. What was your top takeaway from the episode with Simon and the chat with him? Big thanks again for listening to the podcast and I will be back next week in episode 203.